you know. So again, that was another why, why, why me? And then when we started running together, we started fundraising and we started being really, really happy and really enjoying it and like really embracing everything that was happening and going, this is why me, because we don't give up. We don't, we don't just go, oh, this is happening to me. I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to talk to anyone. You know, this is why this, I'm doing this. And then when Alana died, it's like, why, why me? Why is this happening to us again? Do you know what I mean? So these are so many times I've asked myself this and these are sort of things that go around in my head. And, you know, and I think even from doing Dublin to Belfast, doing Energy at 24, like Alana's second anniversary, I went up to my local, my Navin AC running track and I done 100 miles around the running track. I start at 8 o'clock at night um, and finish at 12 o'clock next day. I done it in 15 hours, 56 minutes around the running track. You know what I mean? So, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so this is why me, because I can do things like this. And this is what, this is what helps me do this. You know what I mean? So this is how I answer these questions. That, my friend, was Keith Russell. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, how you all doing? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. Staying on home soil this week with the inspiring story of Keith and Alana Russell. Alana was born with cerebral palsy with no speech or use of her arms or legs. She became the youngest person to complete the Dublin Marathon with proud father Keith. Shortly after the race in December, Alana sadly left us, leaving behind a gift which brought a new direction to life with devoting father Keith. Let's face it, this guy is a legend. He's relatively new to the sport of running. He's already ran a sub three marathon. He came third in the 107 mile Dublin to Belfast in 18 hours. He's run 100 miles in 15 hours around the track. And his next race is Marathon de Savills, all of which is fueled by the love of his daughter. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this episode, We Run Wild Northern Ireland. The next race is on the 23rd of August, which is the second part of their Castle to Castle trilogy. It's marathon distance and is already 75% sold out, which is no surprise being one of the first announced races back on the calendar, which starts at Belfast Castle. It's without further delay, I give you Keith Russell. Anyway, we this first time we've already talked. I've seen you in um, Castle Ward for one loop. You're like, hey. you did. And then I was gone. Yeah, well, that was it. <laughs> I was, <laughs> it's a funny story about that as well. I was meant to be doing that, but I roped a friend of mine into it. Like, we do it together. And then I had to pull out, so he had to do it. So I said, geez, I better go up and fucking do something for him. <laughs> so I crewed for him for about three hours, and then I went. I had to go. I had to, I had to go in there. How did he get but, on? Uh, he got to 31 hours. Geez, he done well. Really well, yeah. actually. He's fourth or fifth last. That was miserable, like. Absolutely <laughs> oh, it was brutal. Absolutely brutal. The worst thing is, I sort of, I, I was beat before I started. I'd said <laughs> I was beat before I started. What happened to me was I was putting gel in my hair about a week before <laughs> it. <laughs> I pulled a nerve in my shoulder blade. Oh, Jesus. And I think it might have been two weeks before and I couldn't do any training. I was like, ah, oh, frick this. Like, if I do 50 miles, I'll just take it as a good training run. Yeah. So I went out in the 13 loop and that was it. Like, you know, you just go, it just shows you, you know, if you don't go in with the right mentality of do and die. That's it. Exactly. It's not going to last at all. Like, especially in those conditions, because you hit 50 miles. Actually, the loop before 50 miles was my strongest loop. And I thought, geez, I'm going to hammer 100 miles today. Like, you know, I'm getting yeah. stronger. 
And one loop later, I was crying. <laughs> this is shit. <laughs> it just goes to show with ultra, doesn't it? That one minute you can be fine, next minute it could be just that's it. Yeah, and, that, and that's the testing thing about it, because that that's always going to happen in the ultra, isn't it? Like, and yeah. but because you've got an end end place to get to, you'll always keep on walking through it, and then eventually you might come out of it. And that race is totally different because you can pull out at that point. Yeah, and you really. Want. I am really gonna prepare for that point next time like yeah <laughs> you're gonna go and join a monastery or something or go to tibet for about a month just for that one moment and prepare in my mind for the time i'm gonna pull out yeah <laughs> yeah <don't>. yeah <laughs> so there's a backyard event in july on july the 11th the quarantine backyard is going to run again as well oh right okay and that was a great gathering i can't say it getting the same sort of gathering i think people were desperate then to get something because everybody had trained for something exactly. Uh, exactly and then that came up um you were training for the marathon disables yes that was... and i had i had about a month a month left a month ago and it was pulled and i was after doing i think about a five hour session up in the mountains uh mountain repeats so it's like 600 meters up 600 meters down eight times <laughs> and then i came down and see my phone in the car and it was pulled <laughs> oh no way yeah it was just as well i didn't see it during it or before it because i wouldn't have done the training you know your, your heart wouldn't be in it to do the training you know so look the way i looked at it was that it was um all the training i put in was say a lead up till to even the next time i start training again i think you just sort of you learn so much through training sessions like that you know the the shutdown has made us learn a lot about ourselves though, doesn't it? It shows you how goal driven we are. Yeah, absolutely. I've I think I've gotten fitter in the shutdown than when beforehand. Obviously can't cover as much miles, but I'm working on a lot more strength work, um, more weight orientated stuff, and then trying to incorporate then as much mileage as I can. Like thirty, forty K a week. Like that's it's nothing in in grand scheme of, of ultra running, but at least it's something. Do you know what I mean? Um, I started getting out at it's, uh, six o'clock in the morning, so do a bit of running before work, and then do a bit of training then that evening as well. You know. And um, one one thing I found is I've had a lot more energy because <laughs> there's not much as much noise in my life. You know, I was I was off work for four weeks as well. And I am lucky where I live. I'm at the foot of the Mall Mountains, like sandwiched between the sea. Um, so even a walk along the beach or a quick dent up the mountains. Um, but the energy that I had was amazing. So it's, you know, going through that, I don't want to go back to the place I was at, actually. <laughs> Life was so busy. Yeah. You know. I think a lot of people, I think people have realized that, like running around with the kids or rushing here and rushing there. Nowadays, people are prepared to stand in a queue for an hour to get into a shop to get food because there's nothing else to do and it's the only time they can get out of the house. Yeah. You know, and everybody's so calm. There's no, like, going, looking, going, geez, wait, is this queue even moving? People just walk to the end of the queue and stand there, no problem. That's, uh, mobile phones have caused a big problem that way, you know, because we want things and we want them now. So, you know, if something popped into my head, I would just open up Amazon Prime, buy it straight away. Boom, 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 straight away, straight away. It's going to arrive tomorrow. Boom, boom. And now we have to slow the whole thing down and relax. Yeah. And it's giving your head a bit of space, I suppose. Like, um, in the Marathon to Salvos, you did do, when you're talking about your training there, you've done a lot of heat training as well, didn't you? Treadmill and the heat. Indeed. Weights. 
done a lot of heat training and I actually I'm sitting in the room where I was training in so this would be Alana's bedroom so I've trained in here and I put a heater up on the wall so I train weighted on a treadmill which in about 44 45 degree heat and it was cruel absolutely <laughs> cruel you know there was times I've uh, there's non-sweet here as well so there's times where I had to go in there um I was getting sick and then I just have to get back on the treadmill and go down for another two or three hours and um, just the pure the heat would just get you at times and you just you just have to stop when to try and cool down in that now it's still warm in the room because I have the heating on as well so the heating on I have the heater on and one time I just took the bag off and lay on the ground and turn the cold cold water on the shower just to try and cool my core temperature but that's what you need to do isn't it like you're going to Sahara yeah. Desert it is <laughs> and, and I won't have a shower <laughs> to, to lie under um but yeah, that's that's what you need to do. You need to really adjust your body temperature. And if you know yourself, when you're out there and you're running, it's very easy for your core temperature to go up. And then dehydrating starts. If you're not taking on enough fluids, food, all that sort of it's massive, massive uh, undertakings, you know. And all everything that's involved in it as well is just everything has to be down to a T. Yeah, self-sufficient. Completely. Five yeah. is it five days? Five days stage race. Five days, so the first day you go over, um, you're over there pretty much in the evening, so that's your first night in the desert. The next day, then, is like registration day, and um, they weigh all your bag, your food. So, your bag has to be more than six kilos and less than 15 kilos, and you have to have two at least 2,000 calories per day to eat. So, um, yeah, the, the Sunday then is race day, so you're in, the, you're, you're in the desert for two nights before you actually run. Yeah, the cruel thing about it is, I think day four when you have to do a double marathon, and okay. it's a the long day on day four. But what's cruel about it is like because you have to get through that and then get up the next day and do it again, do another yeah. day. Yeah, <laughs> that is evil. Like, and as well, the top if you're in the top fifty, you have to go out later, so you're out in the the hottest part of the day, starting off on the last day. But one of the best starts to a race, I think, like they've got the helicopter there playing ACDC yeah. and the whole yeah. place going crazy. Like, But it's great when you have that goal and you have that vision because that moment of that helicopter playing that tune is going to come. Like, It's not yeah. going to come this year. Well, <laughs> it, <laughs> they can't. well, it's moved to September, isn't it? The end of, it's moved to September. Um, they're saying it will go ahead. I just can't see it going ahead. Yeah. I'd say it'd be next April before before we get to bowling. But you, but but you know it's going to happen. You know that moment is going to happen. You know you've you've visioned that like you've heard yeah. it, you've heard about the helicopter. You've heard about the tune, and time goes by very quickly. Before you know it, you'll be standing there where I was going to say yeah. sand, sand in your hips, listening to ACDC <laughs> from the helicopter. Like so yeah. that was cancelled. So you de you decided yeah. to, with all this energy and fitness and everything that you'd built up, um, you decided to come up with your own goal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did, yeah. So if, it was a good while ago, actually. I, I just mapped out the perimeter of me, and I was going just really for see how see how far it was, pretty much just you know, for my own sake and just see, see. With the goal of probably running one day, but I... When when Martin Zab was cancelled, I just decided I'm going to, I'm going to go and do it, but I'm going to do it self sufficient. Now I literally gave myself I'd say about four days, three days notice. I didn't drive the route. I didn't even know where my stops were. I didn't because I didn't plan it well at all. 
Yeah, it sounds that way. It sounds that way. It sounds like four days for I know what I'm going to do. And then we just go and do it. Yeah. So it's 350 Um, odd kilometers, was it? 364.9 kilometers. Almost one for every day. Yeah. Now, I started off. Now, the first mistake I made, I went, I started at five o'clock in the evening after work. So I had my bag packed. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. Look, this I was confident at this stage. I yeah. like confidence was too high. So I had my bag packed, I had all my food, had my sleeping bag if I needed to stop. Um, had a change of clothes. So my bag going out was about six and a half kilos. Um, I had two bottles of water and I was prepared to be out there for two and a half days. Bag was packed. But me my, t- my whole thinking was if I get through the the night part, the day would be fine. And then it's you know, I'd be come night again, I'd be near enough halfway. I could rest a couple of hours and then go again and I'd be fine. First night, I was perfect, flying, no issues. I stopped, I got something to eat. But the roads I was running on were very, very country roads. It wasn't like I was going to come across a 24-hour petrol station or garage or anything like that. There was just no chance of that happening. So what I had to do then was I was carrying two bottles of water. I also had to carry another litre and a half bottle of water in my bag, which mm. added to weight, which made my bag now eight kilos of weight that I was carrying for as long as I was going to be out there. So I got to, I had to, I stopped a couple of times just getting something quick to eat, not stopping and getting sufficient amount of food. And I wasn't taking enough calories. I wasn't resting enough uh, because my thinking was if I stop, I'm wasting time. I'm getting cold all these sort of things going through my head. So when I got to sort of the morning part, it was like, great. You know, doing ultras, my aim is always get to see the sunrise, get to see dawn. And you you know yourself, you get a new yeah. sort of boost, a new lease of life and change the clothes or whatever. And, and you can just keep, keep going again. I got to, I'd say about four o'clock on that Saturday. And my wife rang me and I couldn't even talk on the phone. I was slurring words. I was just completely fatigued i sat down on the grass just to try and get something to eat try and eat um she had to come out try and find me first because i was so rural so once i got some once i got something no tracker he's gone yeah <laughs> she it took her nearly an hour to find me and i sent her a pin on whatsapp so i don't know what happened <laughs> i was heading out to the collin road and i know it's i know it's notoriously dangerous road to go out on the trucks and stuff like that and the more I thought about it, when I was coming across the country road over to Slane, I didn't remember it. I mm. kept falling asleep. Um, I was out in the middle of the road. If a car had it came around the corner, I didn't stand a hope of moving. They probably wouldn't have seen me. You know, they wouldn't expect someone to be out in the middle of the road. So I think that run across was about four, nearly five hours. And I didn't remember much of it. And I thought, if I'm heading out this Colin Road, I could end up in the middle of a main road here. I'm being advised not to do it. and But I think... The, There's an element of responsibility as well. And you didn't want to look stupid if something bad went happened after being advised not to do it. And you have to be responsible for yourself and the and the other people. Yeah, so you anyway, you got 205 <laughs> kilometers. Yeah, I sat on the wall at the petrol station heading out to Collin Road, just contemplating what I was going to do. So eventually I pulled the pin. I probably should have... 
thinking about it now, I probably should have slept for three or four hours and then started from that point again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I had 100 miles left. I had 100 miles to go. But there's, it sounds like a great learning journey that you went on there. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because you had a lot of confidence, because um, we'll touch on it in a minute. Like you'd done the Dublin to Belfast. So I can understand why you thought, you know, it's a great idea just to come out of work and yeah. try and take what you, the confidence you'd got from that event. And that's what you were really doing and just pushing it a little bit further. Yeah. Well, twice as far, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, but, and you know, when you were fitter than you were then as well, you know, you had yeah. all this training done, you were ready to go. So I can understand the confidence and why we feel we can do it. And then on, on another day, you could have done it. Um, but the lessons around fueling and things like that, and when you're on your own, you know, it's hard. Like no matter how fit you think you are, you still need to get that balance, right? Don't you, you need yeah, to get the calories absolutely. in, you need to get the food. Absolutely. And... You need to get the rest, the sleep, and all those things. So, when you get to these bigger races, a better structure around what the way you're going to attack it is yeah. what gets you to the end, really, isn't it? Yeah, like I've thought about it. It's, it's to be honest with you, it's been eating away at me that I didn't finish it. You know, I'm. It's you know, it's not the giving up part. It's did I give up too easy? It's all these questions of could I have went further? If I had done this, if I had done that, you know, and absolutely failure is a learning curve and i do see it as a failure because it has taught me so much i will definitely do it again but i've learned that you know go after you've had a full night's sleep drive the route pick you like when i done dublin to belfast my first my very first ultra marathon uh, last march 2019 i drove that route twice i knew where i was stopping i had it all wrote down i knew every turn i was taking like i had a crew with me but I was, until I got north of the border, I knew every road I was taking, where I was turning. Do you know, I knew, looking at things, right, I know where I am, I know how far I have yeah. to go. I didn't do that this time. And this was like over double the distance. And I didn't do it. You know, and that's why, I, and I wasn't naive. I was just probably overconfident of, yeah. of what, what, I, what I had trained to do. I had trained to go for 250 kilometers in the Sahara Desert, not all in one go. Yeah. You know, I would have had rest days every but night. The, the crew is a big thing as well, like because it only just takes that one person. You know, you could be as low at, at yeah. your lowest point, and you just see one person, one smile, and all of a sudden, somehow, you're just rejuvenated again, ready to go again. Um, and them not being there had an adverse effect as well, because they were worried about you, and all that does is actually play on your mind a little bit more. Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you but know. The the Belfast, just, the Belfast of Dublin that really generated that confidence to begin with, like your first ultra, as you say, you came third. Yeah. There's one thing coming third in an event like that, but it was 18 hours. Was it 18 hours and 20 minutes? Yeah. Around that for 107 miles. What direction yeah. was it? It was Dublin to Belfast. It was Dublin to Belfast. Like, yeah. And it was 50-50 that, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> it's a good guess. <laughs> um, but um, even to get 107 miles... Like, it's not the most beautiful course either, like, is it? It's quite a rolly, undulating... T oh, like. it's... Yeah, I think, like, when you leave Dublin, it's very, very straight, you know? You, like, you can't really go wrong. I was more worried about once I got past Dundalk and you go north of the border, you start on to um, rural, rural roads. Um, there's a point over the points pass. It's roads are up and down. Like, there was a car, I had a good crew with me, and I had a car, there was a car, actually, a few lads came up, and there was a car driving in front of me, 
and I went around the corner and he was on the hill in front of me, like nearly like 50 degrees going up the hill. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but it's only a matter, it's a matter of thing. You just, you just put the head down and you just keep grinding away, you know, because if you stop, you still have to do it. Yeah. You know, you still have to keep pushing on. For me, I didn't really hit too much until 140 kilometers. I was heading out the A1 and it was just long road. All you could see was road completely just straight in front of you. Um, I think it went on for about 30k. And there's a good climb as well. Like it's about a 30k yeah. climb. It yeah, feels. It's just inclined the whole way up the road. And for as far as you can see, it's just straight. There's no turns, no twists. There's nothing to keep you occupied. And at that stage, I pulled, I pulled the van, my crew in, like, and they thought, right, this is it, we're stopping. But for me, it was just to sort of talk to someone for a minute. You know, it was that was that was the lowest point that I got was when I hit the 140k. And it was just to talk to the crew, really, get some food on, see roughly where I was, as in how close was I to the fella in front of me and how close was the fella behind me. At that point, we had made a decision. I wasn't, wasn't going to catch the fella in front of me. Um, I think he finished about half an hour or 20 minutes in front of me. And the fella behind me, I think it was nearly an hour. So at that point, it wasn't wasn't going to be a race, so I could take my time. The main thing at that point was to get to the finish line. So I still had 30, 32 kilometers to go. And were you struggling through that race then, like at, at that latter st- stages of it? No, as I said, I, I had drove it before, and once I got off the A1 um, and back on to, into towns, um, I had ran the last 10K as well. So once I got to that point, so in my mind, I had a 20 kilometer race left because once I got to the, the point of that I ran in, I knew where I was. It was just coming into Belfast. So I knew where I was. I knew where I was going. Um, and it was a lot brighter. The, the, as I said, dawn was always my goal to get to. And I was, it was just getting bright as I was coming into Belfast, which sort of rejuvenated you again. And that was the, you know, that was the, the goal to get to there. And then it was just to get up to, to the far side of Belfast city. So how did you feel after that then? Because that was sort of new ground. I loved it. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. It's probably it's probably probably awakening awakening a new uh, a new animal in me, I suppose, because there's nothing like ultra running. I yeah. like I used to love five Ks, ten Ks. I still do them now. I'm not a quick five K runner. I'm not a quick man. Well, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not. Like I'm a seventeen thirty five five K runner sub three hour marathon runner but i'm not that's not fast in the grand scheme of things but ultra running i love it absolutely love it but it's all relatively new like isn't it like and i know we we jumped straight in there um but the catalyst for all this and you talked about earlier on being in alana's room yeah i think that's a very important part because everybody's got a reason why they run and the very first time they put the running shoes on and lace up um for those that don't know um Keith and Alana's story. Can you give me a bit of an insight into that? Yeah, um, Alana is my daughter. She was a twin. Um, her sister was stillborn, and Alana was born with spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. So she was wheelchair bound. She had no use of her arms or legs. Um, but you know, she could. She knew who we were. She'd smile and laugh and cry and shout and all the things that babies do. But you know, once you start missing milestones, you know that it's life is going to be tough. Um, so we what for about four years, five years, Lana didn't sleep. 
So between myself and Ruth, we had to sort of, well, Ruth more than me, she was up at night with her. Um, and then we sort of swap over so Ruth could get sleep and, and stuff like that, you know. I used to bring Alana out walking uh, just to try and get her to sleep. So sort of, you'd be out at three and four in the morning just out walking mm. and she doze off. And, you know, sort of, sort of started to realise that she enjoyed being out in the air. She enjoyed the different sounds, birds, cars, all that sort of thing. And then a friend of mine was doing his first ever half marathon. So we went over and I seen a crowd putting a running chair into a, a, a van and sort of... Had you done any running before that? No. I couldn't understand why people even ran. To be honest with you. I'm, seen, st- <laughs> I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be out driving and you see people running. You go, I, I can't do that. I played football. And I could could never understand why people ran. Now, now I completely understand why people. Mm. Um, but yeah, so sort of said, right, I want to run Dublin City Marathon with her. So we start running, doing our local park run. Um, I used to her normal day to day chair. I tilt it back on two wheels, and we run the the park run, the five k park run. Um, that, was that the first run that you had done together? Yeah. And like, were you able to see the enjoyment in Alana? Yeah. Or the difference in Alana when you're out on course? Absolutely. You know, you tell her back, she's laughing. It's even people coming over to say hello to her. Um, yeah. She loved all, loves all the, loved all the attention, you know. Um, but I think it was just, it sort of settled her uh, being out in the air. She was, you know, she was starting sleeping a lot better. Um. Mm. And it, it, maybe because it was being out and about and she was being stimulated, you know what I mean? So she was taking so much in, it was starting to tire her out that she was sleeping a, a lot better than she was. And what about the running community then? Because like you were, you were new to it then, as you said there, you know, you've seen these lunatics running up and down the road or yeah. park runs happening, things like that. Like how were you welcomed then into that? Like we... we it's all runners are going to be listening to this, like so they already know the answer to that, like the running community, yeah. how good and how welcoming it is. Like, do you think that it gave yourself a new lease of life as well as Alana? Hundred percent. I think I used to always look at it that we were giving Alana a new lease of life, but it was completely the wrong way around. You know, she she gave me a whole new lease of life. You know, like I I said, I played football for years. Um, I always had like a natural ability with football, with any sports I took up, but I was never committed to any of it. You know, I hate, I didn't bother training. I done it, I done enough to get me by, and that was it. Um, when I when I sat down that I wanted to run Dublin City Marathon with Alana was, I'm all in. It's the first time in my life that I was all in, and I was doing anything I could to get her to that finish line. Um. I give this, up. this was only in 2017, like, wasn't that long ago? Yeah, we started, we started running with Alana in June 2016. I started running with her. Yeah. Um, I gave up smoking then. At that stage, I was smoking for 15 years, more. Um, stopped smoking to run that with her. Um, and trained. I was the fittest I'd ever been training for a Dublin City Marathon with her. Yeah, and the marathon was 2017, wasn't it? Yeah. So you started in the year sort of 2016 to 17, doing park runs. Um, you then went out to a few club runs. We did. What um, we did, we did was we we sort of 
we pinpointed a, a few runs that we wanted to do a few races around the country and we, we just traveled the country and um, we contacted whoever was organizing the race any of the clubs and they couldn't do enough for us to be honest with you like it was what you need what you want what what we need to do for you um, it wasn't the case of look you're going to have to stand to the side and go when everyone else is gone that wasn't the case at all um, we started up the front of every race we done um, you know you get clapped off by all the runners that were there you get to see the elite runners flying by you know we got, got to experience so much doing it it was just it was absolutely amazing so coming into Dublin Dublin's my favourite marathon 2017 um, I was on course as well that day. Um, like, first you have to, it's not as, as simple as people think, is it, really? Because you, first you have to navigate through all the crowds, you have to park your car, you know, you've got a yeah. wheelchair. It can be as much effort almost. Yeah, to get to, get to the start line is a race. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people about and there's, you yeah. know, a l- lot of obstruction there as well. But when there's you get so there... There's the place as well. Yeah, you know, it's, like it's everyone's great spirits. You know, you have nearly twenty thousand runners, and it's the end of October, and it's that chill in the air that just feels like the uh, the Dublin Marathon chill. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You, you're meant to be in form at this stage of the game, like your training's done. Um, it's always warm when you take off, by the way, even though there's a little bit of a chill. Like, um, but um, because you're pushing Alana, you start off at the front with everybody else, yeah. um, in front of the elites. And um, what's that experience like? You touched on it a little bit there. So you take off, like you've got hundreds of people sort of queued, ready to cheer everybody on, and away you go. And there must be a dead silence behind you until they start the elites. Yeah, there is. Like, there was, <laughs> but there was, I think there was, well, I think when we ran it, there was probably about four, maybe five wheelchair runners at that time. Um, so, yeah, we would have been out pretty much out front and you're like even the, the the people lying in the streets and you're going there you're on your own pretty much and they're clapping along they're shouting like to hear people shouting Alana's name it's just it's a phenomenal feeling you know people didn't know who I was but they knew who she was mm. and for me that was number one priority that people knew Alana um, and I was just a person there that was just pushing her along that was it um, and and make sure that she was safe and she was happy. So what was it like then? You got the likes of Gary Hamlin and all coming up behind you. The elites. It must have been. It wasn't the first time Gary passed. (laughs) 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 Um, See, we had done Longwood three quarter, um, I think it's three weeks previous to the marathon. Um, And again, without force, and Gary was there as well. But to see them flying by the pace that they move at, it's just, it's incredible. And, not many people get to witness things like that. You know, when you're running there and you're just gone by in a shot. Is there anything that really will come to the finish line soon? Because <laughs> I'm sure it was amazing. Like, uh, yeah. um, But during the race, is there anything that really sort of stands out in your mind that happened during that? I'm around by Dolphins Barn, halfway point. Just incredible, incredible feeling. You know, heading out towards Cromwell. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just everybody like it's like before five people deep screaming at you. It's just just a lesson. You won't get it anywhere else. Yeah. So what was it like then coming near the finish line? Did you go through? Because when you get to like mile 20, 21, there's a nice downhill sort of stretch. 
for like four or five, like seven or eight kilometers, maybe like. Um, this is after Heartbreak Hill. Like. After Heartbreak <laughs> Hill. <laughs> I wasn't, to be honest with you. You know, I wasn't feeling under pressure. Um, this this was my second marathon at this stage because I had ran Port Dumna Forest Park and it was literally do it to make sure I could run a marathon myself before okay. I took on doing it with the chair. Um, so what, ti- what time did you run in that marathon? In Port Dumna, finished first. <laughs> I done three twenty three hours twenty five. Wow, that was brilliant. And I finished just by sheer luck. I came in first place. Um, did, did you race on the right day? It wasn't like... It wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> you didn't get the days mixed up. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't... Uh, don't get the was good runners there, but you know yourself, you could go another day. Yeah, listen. Three hour could win it, do you know what I mean? So yeah. my, P- my PB, I think, is 3.27, so I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so his first marathon, just gave up smoking, decided to start running. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, look, as I said, I was still very cautious of pace. I probably was. I was holding back more so um, because I wanted to experience it first because mm. you only get your first time once. And that's someone said to me before I done that with Alana, you only get to do your first time once. So enjoy it. Soak it in. Um, so when we came down, say, down past UC, uh, UCD, across the flyover and heading down, um, the crowd start to build up then heading towards the finish line you know where you are you know you're looking going right I'm about two kilometres there and people just screaming at you you can't you, you just can't take it in but mm. I was heading towards the finish line and I actually copped my family were over to the right hand side and um, that was tough now to see them you know like you put everything into it um, but to see your family there um, screaming at you and shouting Alana and it was just amazing and just before we crossed the line then I just stopped stopped at the finish line um, and gave Alana a kiss for how far she had brought me um, not just in the race in, in what we have done together the whole year previous you know what I mean so it was really to acknowledge Alana on, on what she'd done for me and not just what we were doing for her it's quite amazing, like, because it started out as a journey in, on doing something for her. Yeah. Um, and you got as much, if not more, from that. And it was the gift that she gave you. Yeah. More, though, more so the gift that you were given to her, like. Yeah. Um, like, a Martin's pretty emotional anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, especially when you see the amount of times <laughs> I've been... I'm going to edit this like a gibbering wreck <laughs> at the end of a marathon. I remember crossing Tokyo finish line because it was there on my own. I just burst into tears. Um, there's an edit. But <laughs> <laughs> but to see your family and to see everything that you'd come through in a very short period of time as well. You know, because yeah. it, was, it was a new lease of life. It was like opening a new door, really, wasn't it? 100%. It's, it's so, so hard to describe it. You know, when I, I was always the person I'd say, oh, I'd love to run a marathon. But as I didn't have the commitment to put in the training. And it's only when you start to train for it, you realize how tough it actually is. And it's it's the discipline of getting up every weekend to put in miles. Whether that be 5 miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, you still have to get up and get it done. You know, mm. there's no getting away with doing a marathon and not training for it. Well, I, I actually do marathons for the training. 
you know, I actually loved the training aspect. I love running long distance, like, and that's why I'm always injured, most probably, like, because <laughs> every time I'm not, you know, I just would love, I love running 20 miles every weekend. Um, yeah. And it's just the adventure and testing yourself and that good feeling after it, after the fact. Um, uh, but you've done absolutely amazing in, in Dublin, and it really did um, bring awareness around Alana and Keith's story as well yeah. and the good that you were all doing together. Unfortunately, then in December, you got some really bad news, which was the same the following year. Oh, sorry, the same year. Same year, yeah. Um, it was probably a month and a half later. Um, Alana passed away. Um, I had her here in the evening and I put her to bed and I got into bed beside her. I got out of the bed about two o'clock in the morning. I went up to my own bed um, and I came down and I was heading out to work. I said, I'll check on her and I found her dead in the bed. Like after everything that you'd been through together, um, that must have been, and still is obviously, most probably the most difficult thing that you've ever had to go through in your life. Yeah. Um, but it was, she was the catalyst to something absolutely amazing which is the journey that you've just been on over the last couple of years and where God knows where you're going to end up <laughs> over the next few uh, years listening yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, like, do you find that um, entering these races is helping you with the grieving and coming and coming? It's a very difficult thing to talk about, like, isn't it? It's such a, like, it the, hairs are, the hairs are standing in the back of my neck. And when I was doing a little bit of prep on it, and um, we'll talk about Dublin 2018. Like I always find it hard even during the prep not to shed a tear. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to shed a tear because it was such a beautiful story. You know, like every parent's worst nightmare, nightmare is losing a child. Mm. You know, we're living that nightmare. Um, it's very, look, if we, if we sort of crumbled, fell apart and never done anything again, mm. people wouldn't blame you for, do, for that. But, we're not like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'm going to do what I do. And if you want to ask me a story, I'll tell you my story of why I'm doing it. But this is what I need to do. This is what I've done with Alana. And I've, I was talking to a fella who, who lost his, his son. And he said to me, he didn't talk about it for about 10 years. We had no choice because of what we done with Alana, the fundraising, um, you know, Alana was out there. We had no choice but to think to talk mm. about it. Um, like when Alana, the time of Alana's funeral, um, one of my brothers just said to me, he says, Keith, he says, it's all over the internet about what happened to Alana, you know. And it was very surreal to to even imagine she was eight, she had just turned eight years of age, mm. and she 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 was just everywhere absolutely everywhere you know and and people would say to me like you, you don't know the amount of people that she touched or that have gained something from her um and i probably will never know the amount but i know what she's done for me and i know what she's done for the rest of my family so i could i could well imagine what she has done for other people um i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing today if i didn't have a line. i would still be probably tr playing football but i'm completely uncommitted to anything now i have a natural ability that i am 
100% committed to and training to do and to be the best that I can be um, and make sure that I am still happy in what I'm doing. You know, like, of course, I grieve my daughter. I, I don't, not a day goes by, I don't even think about it, Anna, but I choose when that comes out. I don't let it come out in me. I choose that. So I don't be at a race or, or talking to people and break down. I do that on my own. I shed a tear on my own. And that could be more, more, most likely out in the graveyard when, I'm, when I go out there to talk to them. Do you know, like, mm. uh, in 2018, I spent some nights leaving the house here at 3 or 4 in the morning, walking out to the graveyard and sitting out there. And it was just getting ridiculous. It was getting very, very unhealthy of what I was doing. So I had to stop all that. I had to sort of, I had to, I had to regain control of what I was doing. And I had to start focusing on new goals for myself. Because without a goal, I was finding it very hard to do anything. Um, and so my, my main goal was to be on the start line of Dublin City Marathon the following year. Um, and that was to run it for, for Alana. Um, and then when people started wanting to do something at mile eight, so now there's like a, there's been pictures and Teddy's left there at mile eight for Alana for, she had just turned eight. So that they, they, they had actually given mile eight to Alana. So yeah. forever now yeah. mile eight will be dedicated to Alana. They've also um, retired Alana's number as well. One, four, one from WC, yeah. which is. You know, it's a phenomenal thing to have um, for for someone that only ran the marathon once. Do you know what I mean? And so it it just sort of shows you how Alana and yourself had touched so many people without you even realizing how many actual people had been touched, and even the the story as it keeps moving, Keith. Like, um, there's so many people that will know you. Um, whether they've got children or not, will see you as such a an inspiration. Like, because like everybody goes through hardships in life, not yeah. maybe to that level, and um, but to and you do have a choice and a decision to make. And I think it's important to know that there are options and choices there. Yeah. And it's not that there's options and choices there. It's important that you have some sort of direction. And whether you're going through hardships or not, I think it's important to have some sort of direction and some sort of goal yeah. and purpose that is leading you somewhere. Absolutely. Because um, we're burning days away here and we haven't got hundreds no. <laughs> of years to live. Do you know what I mean? And you yeah, don't know. Look, look, at the end of the day, Robbie, I'd tell anybody, like, I'm not living the hardest life in the world. There's people out there that are living much, much tougher lives than I am and I ever will see. But if I can, if I can even help people that have lost a child into into thinking, you're never going to forget them. You're never going to stop grieving. But you have to, you still have to live. You can't. Once once your child dies, your life is not over. You know, and I seen this the other day on Facebook, and it drives it drives me insane. You know that. Oh, once your child dies, your life is over, or you won't be happy again until you die, and that's complete bull. Complete bull. Do you know what I mean? Like, I went through the whole trauma of any time I went to bed, I seen I seen Alana's face when I found her, and I could I couldn't sleep. It just it was it was just driving me insane. I just couldn't do it. Um, anytime you're driving in the car, you just something would trigger 
and you just start thinking about you'd start tears be streaming down your face and that's when I wasn't in control of it you know and I suppose over a period of time probably a lot less than what other people would do that I, I was able to gain control of because I would be very headstrong anyway I wouldn't really I wouldn't really talk about my emotions or anything like that you know um but things like this I just just like to do on my own do, do you know what I mean so when you have people saying oh your child dies that's it you may as well just give up it's completely wrong completely mm. wrong so when I start setting goals for myself I started thinking right what have what have I done what have I created do you know what I mean we created so many amazing memories we've raise over 70,000 euro to, to supply a wheelchair and accessible bus for a respite care home. You know what I mean? These things don't happen to everybody. You know what I mean? So this is what this is my passion and this is what I'm going to work on and this is what I want to do. It's granted if if it's raising a thousand euro a year for a charity, someone's getting something from that. And that's what I want to do. I've said this a hundred times. I would hate to win the lottery. I would hate someone to hand me money for me because I think I just go great and that'd be it if I be wanting to train again <laughs> do you know what I mean so you don't have that drive you don't have that focus do, do you know what I mean so I think to have a focus to have a drive to put yourself into so much discomfort and I don't do unreal discomfort because I want to feel pain I don't do that I just like to push myself as hard as I can and be accountable for me and be the best that I can be, and be, you know, not be somebody that people could expect you to be. Like, society thinks that people that lose a child should be unhappy all the time, or should be crying all the time, or should be in bits because they should be thinking about their child all the time. That's not the way it is. Do you know what I mean? As I said, I do it when I want to do it, and my family's the same. We get on with day-to-day -day life as we have to. Like we still have, we have three other kids who still rely on us. <clears throat> My youngest fella is, he's turning seven next month. You know, he's, he talk about Lana all day long. Sometimes he, he just come out with it. Just out, out of the blue and it nearly gets you yourself. You're going, oh, jeez. Do you know what I mean? But she's a part of our life. This room is called Lana's room. So if there's anything up here that someone wants, it's, oh, it's up in Lana's room. And it's just, it's not, doesn't upset people. It just that's that's Alana's room, and that was it. This was done for her. It's just you're just like a beacon of light, Keith. Just listening <laughs> to you there, like, <laughs> and I'm sitting thinking. So he's he's done a sub three hour marathon. He's come third in the Dublin to <laughs> Belfast. Like, I'm trying to draw some of this energy that he's got. Hopefully, I don't steal any any of it from you. Like, <laughs> and but you did. You done an amazing. It's an amazing effort, and it wasn't easy. I'm sure it was the most difficult life, uh, sorry, the most difficult year in your life, 2018. But you came Absolutely. back to Dublin. You got you were presented with the Lord's Mayor ring. Medal. Um, uh, sorry, there's another edit. You were presented <laughs> with the Lord Mayor's uh, medal. I know Team yeah. Care got that as well. Yeah. And, you know, it just goes to show, you know, what people thought of Team Alana, really, I suppose. And that legacy is going to go on forever. And I think, you know, you know, it's such a great story to see where you were to where you are now. 
and the gift that Alana has given to you, which is really just still both you and I think it was, I did actually read David Doyle had written a great article between them and the words he, I had to write it down. He said, um, the enduring legacy of Keith and Alana Russell woven together like two strands of the same cord. Like that is beautiful. Like, and you know, you do, you get the sense that every event that you're doing and every run that you're doing, like even though Alana's not there physically, she yeah. is there, and it's no different than when you ran 2017. Absolutely. You know, I've done, so when I, when I set my goal of, of running Dublin to Belfast, and to be honest, I just seen it, and I was like, that's what I want to do. And it, it was, I think it was the thing of running south to north or north to south, whichever way it was. Do you know what I mean? It's that, it's something about that appeals to me. And when I was training for that, I had hit the, the highest mileage I'd ever done. Like, I'd done 55K in one run. Over a weekend, I'd hit 125 kilometers, and I was just, I was loving it, you know, and I was out on my own, just headphones in. I think I was more able to process what was going on in, in my head, you know, when I was out on my own, and I was able to think over things, and if if I wanted to cry out there, I could, and it was fine, you know what I mean? So mm. it, didn't, it didn't affect me, and it, I, I think that was really the start of my healing process, um, was doing things like that. Because I had, you know, I had no option but to talk to myself and tell myself the truth and what way I was feeling, what way I was thinking. If I didn't sort of get that out, things were going to become locked up in your head. And I think that's where people start to mm. depression or start mental health starts to come into it, you know. And I, I think it's very important to be able to ask yourself questions and be honest with yourself about the questions that you're you're asking and the answer that you're given. And I, I have a coach... Um, Marcus Smith, he's coaching me for a Martin Saab, and I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not joking. He, I go out on, a, I go out on a run, right? I go out on a long run, and I'd be thinking about so much shit in my head, and I just brain dump, right? So after a hard training session or a long training session, I, I, I were on training peaks, so I write, write up a few bits, and it ends up it could be. You know, two paragraphs long about what I was thinking out there. Now it could be anything, absolutely anything. And for me, he he just he'd respond back, say whatever. But for me, it's more like this is what I was asking myself. This is the questions. Why why is this me? Why is it happening to me? And you know, a lot a lot of the questions was why me? Like my Alana's twin sister died. She was still born, Isabel, right? That was the very first time we sort of asked, why is, why is this happening to us? Mm. You know, then when we found out Alana would possibly have been completely disabled and not, not be able to do anything for herself, be completely dependent on us, you know, it's like, I can barely look after myself, you know, without having to look after a child that can't do anything for, for themselves, you know. So again, that was another, why, why, why me? And then when we started running together, we started fundraising, and we started being really, really happy and really enjoying it and like really embracing everything that was happening and going, this is why me, because we don't give up. We don't, we don't just go, oh, this is happening to me. I'm going to shut down. I'm not going to talk to anyone. You know, this is why this, I'm doing this. And then when Alana died, it's like, why, why me? Why is this happening to us again? Do you know what I mean? So these are so many times I've asked myself this and these are sort of things that go around in my head and, you know, and I think even 
from doing Dublin to Belfast, doing Energy at 24. Like, Alana's second anniversary, I went up to my local, my Navin AC running track, and I'd done 100 miles around the running track. I started at 8 o'clock at night um, and finished at 12 o'clock next day. I'd done it in 15 hours, 56 minutes around the running track. You know what I mean? So, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so this is why you mean, because I can do things like this, and this is what this is what helps me do this. You know what I mean? So this is how I answer these questions. It's like things happen for you, not to you. Yeah. You know, it's that type of mental state. You know, yeah. if, you, if you can sort of switch that around. Because I've talked on my earlier podcast, I've talked as well, where I went through, mine was a totally different thing from, I had a, I went through about a year of depression. Yeah. And it was just totally burnout. That's all it was for me. And, you know, it was the long run sort of, you used the word heal there. You know, I got up in the mountains and it just flushed it all out of me. Yeah. And I started thinking to myself, you know, this isn't actually happening to me. It's happening for me. And then what was actually crippling me turned into a gift that strengthened me because I got so much learning from that. Absolutely. You talked about, what was it, 100 miles around the running track. I'm assuming that you had a lot of people come out there to support that. Yeah, I had, well, it's really my, uh, my running club, Navin AC. Um, so, like, we run in Claremont Stadium. It's literally 500 metres up the road from me. So... Um, they gave me permission to, to run around the track so there's no issue and I said it to a lot of my clubmates and uh, there was someone there with me at all times running with me and it was just it was phenomenal like you know it's just it's all 15 hours 15 hours Keith I'm sitting here going pastors <laughs> 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 but that that like it's a phenomenal time though like isn't it like if like you must be excited you know where happened? you are. Do you know what happened there? I tell you what. <laughs> right. So my plan was to do it in, I think it was sixteen hours. Right. It never factored in my stops. I'd never factored in change of clothes. I never factored in taking food. So I was like, how am I going to walk this now? So I had to start off at a quicker pace. You know. So when I did stop, it was nearly going past the time. So then I had to catch up again. So I was playing catch up all the time. But the fact you're on a 400-meter track, you know, you don't have to carry anything. Your food is on the table. You just run by, grab it, drinking. People are bringing coffee and everything. Do you know what I mean? So it was great. So I, the last, I think it was the last 10K, I was like, right, I have to up my pace here. So I was nearly running at 3.30 marathon pace for the last seven kilometers just to try and make under 16 hours. You know? That's crazy, like, isn't it? You've really, like, morphed into this really fast sort of ultra runner um, in a very short period of time. Like that must excite you. Like, cause there's so many, especially when you listen to podcasts and social media yeah. and things like that, all these races keep on popping up and there's so much out there that we can be doing. Like the marathon to Sables is one of the big five as they call yeah. it. Um, like, and where that goes to next after that, like you have a real talent for this. Um, look, as I said, like any any sports I took on when I was younger, all the way through, I always sort of had a natural a natural ability, and it was it was what I done with that was like, you know, my brother, my older brother, was phenomenal at commitment to, to football. He wouldn't he wouldn't have had the natural ability that I had, and he used to frustrate the life out of him that I wasn't as committed as he was, but I was better than he was. You know what I mean? So I think. 
once I started running, as I said, I ran my first marathon 325. I ran my marathon with Alana was 321.47. Do you know what I mean? So pushing a chair during that time, and you sort of looking going, right, this is my first year doing this. You know, I, I've done one year of ultra, and I think I ran about four, four ultras. Now, I'm not at the level of a lot of the lads that would be on the podcast with you. You know what I mean? Like, these lads are running 70, 80 ultramarathons in the mountains. Don't get, I would love to do it, but it's, you know, I've run four. So I'm not at their level whatsoever. But I do look at going, right, where can I be? And I think even with energy, it was cancelled. Energy is cancelled this year. Um, my aim this year for would have been to try and make the Irish 24 hour team. And I think that next year, that, that probably is going to be my goal for next year. I was, well, I think I was about three or four places off of last year. So you ran 130 miles last year in your first yeah. 24 hour. Yeah. Yeah. And made a lot of mistakes there as well. Well, so. that's, that's good to hear because that's where I was, <laughs> that's why yeah. I paused. I'm yeah. like, because it seemed to be you were, you were sort of drifting through these things. Like, you have to like i'm i'm the same as well so okay i've been doing ultras since i think 2015 or 16 and maybe haven't been doing enough of them to learn enough yeah. but you progress and every time you do one you progress more and you progress Absolutely. more um i was really excited about this year i really wanted to get tucked into them and get now i've learned that it's not about doing the race it's about grabbing the learning and moving on to the next one yeah and you almost feel like you need like about two or three years of good racing to learn as much as you can about yourself, you know, about your mental resilience, your food is a yeah. pain in the ass for me. Like, um, your strategies, your pacing, um, the training that you have to do and how you have to align that to the actual race. Yeah. And you know, it's like, we can't do anything about this year. Like, um, well, I think I, like people need to use this time to, to, to update themselves with how their body reacts, their food, their training regime do you know what i mean like change the way you train so it doesn't get monotonous do you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i i said like i always done gym work anyway but i've sort of introduced a bit more weights into it so I, i'm normally about 73 and a half kilos maybe nearly 74 kilos which is light but when i'm ultra running or ultra training i go down to about 71 and a half kilos yeah. you know and that's not like i will i'll be eating something when my dinner's cooking do you know what I mean? so it's not like i want to lose weight it's just I cannot keep weight on because you're covering, you know yourself, you're covering so much mileage. Um, but you touched on, say, you start running the mountains for your mental health, for depression. You know, I would, I would love people to experience that. You know, people that suffer with mental health or depression, experience what it's like to go up in the mountains and just mm -hmm. jog around or go to the top of a, of a mountain five or 600 meters up and just look around. It gives it, you perspective. Oh, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, mm. and as I said, money can't buy things like that. What mistakes did you make? I'm and interested. An idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, <laughs> I was running with, uh, I was actually running with Ian Keith and uh, Aidan Hogan. <laughs> right. And That's mistake number one. Go yeah, <laughs> chatting away, you know, as you do. And um, no, Aidan, like in fairness, Aidan, Aidan was saying, look, I was just saying, look, to be first 24 hour, I've done, I've done Dublin to Belfast the three months previous. Aidan was saying, look, just eat little and often, just keep it going in. It was a very, very hot day. This mm. was at the end of June, very, very hot. And I, I was, lo I was losing too much salt and I touch your face 
and you just handful of salt. That night, um, 12 o'clock at night, I just start vomiting, couldn't keep food down, trying to just keep fluids going in. So basically that was halfway point. You hit halfway and you're going, I'm getting sick and I have another that to go again. So um, I, I don't think I've had I don't think I've had anybody on the podcast who's done twenty four hour race that hasn't vomited yeah. halfway through it. Like <laughs> the most attractive sport in the in running, yeah. I think. <laughs> just as well as just vomit. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so I sort of had to adapt a a run a lap, walk a lap, you know, method um through the night. Again, falling asleep running is the most unbelievable thing ever. Falling asleep when you're running. And that you know that lake there in Victoria Park, so you're trying yeah. to not veer towards the lake. <laughs> you wake up and you've twenty laps done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um just ran and I think I was walking I was walking too slow then. You know, I was mm. wasn't power walking, I was nearly like as if I was out for a stroll. And then I just started running again. But look as you say, you do these things, you're learning all the time. Like I've learned from Dublin to Belfast before, son. I've learned from my first 24-hour race, and I've definitely learned from trying to run the Premier Mead. And like that alone, it's it's all down to planning. It's all down to food. Like I went to energy, I ran around a few times, but until you're there, um, mm. you know, it's a, it's just a different animal altogether. You know, like well, it's it, difficult to train past 12 hours. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the fueling, I, I, it's not my mental resilience or my my body that really gives up i get caught out with fueling every time yeah and you know it's getting i'm getting better you know the distance is getting further oh, not even the distance i think to myself wow i've got the 12 hours and i haven't felt sick yet happy days <laughs> like <laughs> the 15 miles you're booking over a stone someplace like yeah and like it's difficult to train that because like i'm going out for a six hour run tomorrow and um, but it's still only six hours i'm going to yeah. try I am going to try different food in that as well because I'm tr- at the minute I want to try and lock down food that doesn't make me sick but it's hard to go past six hours in a training run it is it's tough um I start to eat just if you boil the potatoes bring them with you with loads of salt on them I find them they're they're easy to eat easy to carry in your bag yeah oh you know, um find them great uh cliff bars you know high in calories high in cal- you know so that sort of thing but okay uh, that's what i don't advise people on it because everyone's different everyone yeah. reacts to things differently um you just sort of say look this is what works for me i've no idea what's going to work for you but you're going to find out the hard way you know yeah, it's as simple as that like yeah that's it um the carry way ultra now looks like it might go ahead um they believe yeah. it will go ahead um so my name's down. <laughs> Put my name down two days ago, I think. Um, so that'd be really good. That's in. When I, is that on? Is that? I, uh, it's fourth of September, I think, in uh, around that date, fourth or fifth of September. So there's a lot, obviously, with MDS. That's why you almost want them to make a decision: is it going to happen or not? Absolutely. Um, I'm I've got. I'm signed up for um, Seven Sisters Skyline. Oh, very good. So, so you know, apparently, that. apparently, the session has to go ahead. Nice four thousand meters ascent. Yeah, so I'm signed up for that as well, and that's and that's the, that's the challenge that we've got is, um, you know, that's two weeks before the Kerryway Ultra. Two weeks yeah. after, I've got the Barkley Classic, and you don't know whether or not it's going to go ahead or not. Exactly. So, that's it. So you have um, to stay, sort of stay training and stay involved in all these, and 
if they all go ahead, you're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I said to somebody, uh, I think it was yesterday. I said, look, he's asked me what races have I booked. I said, I just booked them all. Hoping that one of them will go ahead. <laughs> I don't know which one I'm doing yet. I'm doing ascent, distance, everything like on the flat. Um, I'd, the sky- I'd, I'd actually planned to do um, the Carryway Ultra because I done Dingle Marathon um, last year, and the plan was to do the Carryway Ultra because it's the same weekend, isn't it? It's the same. Right. Okay. It's the same weekend, so I was going to go and do that and then head to Dingle to meet friends, like you know. But I haven't signed up for it yet. But if Martin Asab doesn't go ahead, I'd love to jump in and do it. Yeah, yeah that'd be a really good learning, I think. Um, a good opportunity. A lot to, of learning. <laughs> <laughs> 200 kilometers of the Kerry Way. Yeah. Is there any races out there that you would, apart from the MDS, obviously, um, that you would like to do? That's Don't ask me a question like that because, like, I get asked, <laughs> I get asked when is this going to end? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I would take, honest to God, I would take anything on. I wouldn't, like, if someone said to me, here's, um, we'll, we'll go in and do UTMB, or we go and do Markley Mark, yeah, absolutely, I'm there, you know. Um, yeah, I, like. You say you take anything on, so what, what madness were you up to this year? So, um, was it Hell Week? Ultimate Hell Week. <laughs> and televised and RTE, like. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Um, I watched it last year and a few people had said to me, like, you should go into that. And I was like, no, what wouldn't interest me, you know, people shouting at me and stuff, it wouldn't interest me. And then I was, I don't know, I was looking at YouTube, I seen the English one and I said, geez, I must look and see when the Irish one is, is on. And it just came up saying the registration is up in 10 days. It's filled out the application and sent it in. And you get a phone call, you go through a fitness test, you get a, you have to do like on camera talking and stuff like that and got into the last 28 to go on to it and that was was it screened once a week it was screened once a week so i think it was screened in april it was filmed in no it was filmed five days after dublin city marathon right okay and then it was filmed in april it was so, i was on in april on the rte um <clears throat> unbelievable experience absolutely unbelievable experience you know and you meet some incredible people you know, everybody has a story, you know? Yeah. And it's, do you think that's one of the toughest things you'd ever done? Um, it's, it's more for, well, you know, it's more for sleep deprivation and stuff like that, but mm. like, I didn't go as far as I wanted to go. Um, it was, it was basically what happened was a gas mask. You had to do a six kilometer run, um, up and down hills through water with a, and it was a 25 pound pack on. Um, but you have to put a gas mask on. My breathing at the best time wouldn't be great. I have asthma anyway. Um, so once I put the mask on, it was very, very uncomfortable. And I got to the top of the first hill. I just couldn't breathe. I had to take the mask off and, and that was it. But the night before that, we were in a chamber for tear gas. So you had to take the mask, you had to take the mask completely off. So the tear gas hit the back of your throat into Jeez. your chest it was it, that was the worst thing i've ever done was that tear gas but i think that could have been like sort of a trigger for my chest as well and look at the end of the day these these things happen you know um I love another it. another great experience though oh uh, absolutely 100 i absolutely loved it you know you're tested to like we we got dragged off the bus and straight into a stream and um, you have to go through a whole array of 
push-ups and all lifting people and all this sort of thing. Um, and then the next morning we were down on Curraclow Beach doing a whole scratch course. So you see, you don't know how long these things are going to last. So you don't know how hard you have to go. So you're just sort of like working off people around you, but also not drawing attention to yourself. Um, so I think our scratch course went on for about five hours, nearly six hours. Um, in sand, crawling around sand, in and out of the surf, carrying logs, moving tires up and down sand dunes. And that was just the morning of that day. You know, so you just don't know what's coming. So it, it's it's all that unexpected, being ready. Um, you're not sleeping. You're not getting much food. You know, it's great. <laughs> just like an ultra. <laughs> Um, just to finish then, how would you summarize ultra running for you? For me, it's so hard. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, if they said, if people, if someone said to me, will you go and run around Ireland? Like, yeah, let's go. You know, um, I love the whole, I suppose I loved being out on my own. Um, they said going up the mountains, it's, you know, you can't you can't put a price on that. You know, you can't put a price on running on country roads with a headlight on, and when you turn it off, you can't see the hand in front of your face. Do you know? You just you can't. And then when you're running for for twelve hours and the sun starts to come up, and you get that real orange sky, it's it's just amazing. And that's why when I run at night, you run to see that. And it's mm. one of the best views you'll ever see in your life. I've seen a picture of something like that in the Sahara from, it must have been previous year, in Martin de Saab. And two lads standing on top of a, a dune with the sun coming up. And it just looked incredible. And the sleeping under the stars, you know, what better, what better way would you want to be? Keith, thanks very much. I appreciate your time today. Thanks very um, much, it, does re- it does really make you appreciate life, though, doesn't it? It reconnects you. Yeah, and and 100%. especially in our modern world, you know, it's a very fast-paced environment. TV, yeah. phones, all that good stuff, and you almost need to disconnect to to reconnect, really, right. and just being outside. And that's what our natural instinct, our innate. Yeah, look, if you could show, if you could show someone that, as I said, uh, with that suffering with mental health or suffering with depression, if you could bring them up a mountain and just show them something like that. I think they would take something away from just being there. Without a doubt. Keith, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Harvey. Another inspiring podcast with an up-and-coming ultra runner who I have no doubt will be seeing more of in the future. Next time you're running Dublin Marathon, make sure you look up at mile eight and give Alana a smile and carry her joy with you all the way to the finish. We have a great episode coming up this week with ultra runner John Sharp, who was the first person home in Lazarus Lake's 2,000km run across Tennessee in just 27 days. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean, and drop in on our Facebook group aptly named the Inspiration Runner Podcast. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.